You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of John. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one stuffed under a chair in front of you. Grab that or or grab your phone or grab whatever you've got and go to John 14. If you don't own a Bible, take that one in the chair in front of you as our gift to you. If you don't want a a cheap paper Bible, I think we have a lost and found. There's some good leather ones there. Um, You can grab one of those. There might be a name in it, whatever. John 14. Look at verse 1 as we jump right into this. Jesus talking to disciples, and he says this, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. He says it again in verse 27. He says the same phrase. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in between those two calls, he, he, he lays out for us what we do when our hearts are troubled. You got to understand something. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Why? Because their hearts are troubled. He's not getting after them for troubled hearts, but he's saying, hey, here's what you're going to do with those troubled hearts. There's comfort here. If you roll in here this morning with a heart that's troubled, Jesus is saying, listen, in the midst of that confusion, in that struggle, don't let your heart lose hope. And you see, for his disciples, they they come into this night with Jesus, and the week had started out so good. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the the crowds were cheering for him. He was welcomed like a coming king. They're like, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. But now it's Thursday. Jesus celebrating the Passover, Passover with his disciples, telling them, this is the last meal I'm having with you guys. Disciples are so confused Their whole idea of what was supposed to happen now completely turned upside down. It's now gone. Jesus telling him, hey, I'm leaving you. Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer and die. I mean, can you imagine? You've put all your hope into Jesus. You're like, this is finally it. The Messiah is here. And and, and you've seen him perform miracles. You've heard him pray and preach You've watched, you've experienced this, this deep, tender care and love he has. You've seen his righteous anger against sin and hypocrisy and religiosity and oppression. And you're like, what do you mean you're going away? And to add to that confusion and doubt and anxiety, he's even said this at this meal. He said, hey, and one of you guys who's been following me, you're, you're, you're a traitor. You're going to betray me to the enemies. He said, hey, the leader of this group, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. All of you are going to scatter. It's no wonder their hearts are troubled, and yet into these troubling times, Jesus looks into the eyes of his disciples around the table, and I believe he looks into our hearts and lives this morning, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He gives us his hope for times of trouble and what he's doing in these verses this morning, what I'm hoping for us, if you come in with a troubled heart, is that he reorients our hearts, that he he refocuses our vision, our gaze. Because when when the unexpected comes, when the unwanted comes, when the unplanned, when those hard and difficult seasons of, of life enter into our life, we're always on this search for hope. 
That's what Paul Tripp says. He says, in in tough times, we'll always preach some sort of gospel to ourselves. He says, everybody's a theologian. Everybody's a counselor digging into what's going on and how do I solve this. We're, We're always looking for some sort of solid ground. Where do I stand? Because my life's given away. Sufferings come when that sickness hits. And now, now you're like, man, my body does not do what I want it to do and my future's kind of unsure. When financial struggles come and things are tight, expenses are piling up, when there's relationship strife. I mean, how often is that where our hearts are troubled, no? Whether it's a marriage that's struggling or family struggles or just relationship strife and there's broken relationship, you're wondering how will this ever be healed? I mean, so much of the Psalms is filled with with this, man, people are doing so much harm to me and our hearts are troubled. And suffering for you, it may, maybe it's just past haunts you have and there's sin in your past, there's, there's guilt and shame and, and maybe, maybe for you it's, it's not your past but it's a, a fear of an uncertain future. Suffering can be those overwhelming storms of, of depression and anxiety and Jesus speaks into this uncertainty with hope. Look again at verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, now he starts with that that word believe. It's been a a theme all through John's eyewitness account here, this idea of believe. Remember, Remember John's purpose statement for writing this book of John? He says in John 20, I write this so that you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. So when John says believe, though, it's, it's more than just this mental assent. It's, it's more than just, well, I acknowledge that to be true. No, there's something about it that, that goes beyond that. The meaning of this word believe would be this. Do you put your full weight on this? I used to teach rock climbing, and, and there were two types of people on the top of a cliff face before rappelling over the edge of the cliff. There were those who believed that the equipment would hold them, and those who say they believe the equipment would hold them. Can, can you imagine the two different ways those people will go over the edge of the cliff, right? The, those who believe are like, let's do this, and they're over, right? Those who don't believe, they're like gripping tightly, and they're kind of doing this. Can I just sort of crawl over the edge, right? They're just so scared. So why? They're saying they're believing. But they're not resting in it. Not full belief. Jesus is saying here, believe. Put the full weight of your life on me. On the edge of this cliff, when, when, when times are troubling, and when all we can see are our circumstances, and in those moments, we're, we're going to be tempted to trust in those circumstances, and the only way that our heart is not going to be troubled is to take the weight of those troubles off of ourselves, off of what we can do, off of the circumstances, and put the weight on Christ. I mean, it's so easy to leave them there, isn't it, in, in our circumstances? We wake up every day with that temptation to trust in our circumstances. So every single day, we have to grab the trust out of the circumstances and replace that with with the sovereign king of the universe. You have this. Day after day, we have to do this. So all the anxiety, all the questions, all the fear, all the hurt, all the confusion, it's not this. It's not, hey, just suck it up. Just walk it off. 
Just stuff that down deep inside. No, no, no. no what's, what, what Scripture is calling us to, what Jesus is calling to us to is this. That, that, that anxiety, that stress, that care, it has to go somewhere. And Jesus is saying, give it to me because I can bear it. That's what prayer so often is. It's, it's, it's not just we're informing God of all the stuff that, that's causing us to freak out. No, there's this, this move in prayer where we say, God, you take this now. Here's my burdened heart. And you read through the Psalms, you see this over and over again. As a family, we're, we're working our way through the Psalms in, in our mornings. We get together as a family before we start our day, and the Psalms are one of the things that we're walking through. And it's, it's amazing how, how the Psalms are so applicable to the burdens, like the very specific burdens we have as we look ahead to our day. And, and so often the Psalmist starts with the chaos. The Psalms like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So many Psalms have, they're like, where are you, God? Why is this injustice happening to me? And then you get to the end of the Psalm, and it's, listen, it's not like the circumstances have changed, but the heart of the one praying has changed, and it gets to this place where, God, I need you to take this. I can't bear the weight of it anymore. And not just saying, God, I need you, but then there's this prayer that turns into, God, I trust that you can. You are the holy God. You are the God who has this this undying, sovereign, caring, steadfast love for me. And by giving that over to the Lord, by, by taking it off my circumstances and laying it on the Lord, our hearts move from chaos and trouble to rest and trust. In the Psalms, it ends in worship. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your cares on him. Cast all your cares on Jesus. And, and I, I read that, cast all your cares, and I think I actually cast my cares like I'm actually casting a fishing line. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you do this too? Like, Jesus, you've got to take this. And let me reel that back in, and I'll take that for my day, right? Jesus says, let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he's calling us to take our eyes off of our circumstances and and cast those troubles on him. See him. Listen, I'm not saying that our troubles are small. I'm not saying the trials you're walking through are not a big deal. I mean, I, I, I read the prayer requests. I meet with many of you. I mean, I know the trials are hard. But what Jesus is saying, in the midst of that trouble, the world does not get the last word. Your circumstances do not get the last word. I mean, we had a funeral here yesterday. I mean, some of you would know the couple when we were united as one bigger church, um, Randy and Linda Hodges, and Linda Hodges passed away. She, she had a heart condition since she was young, an enlarged heart, and... Um, in the hospital, hoping that she would be healed, hoping that she would come home. And instead, instead, she actually had a better homecoming, if you want to think of it biblically. Um, she went to be with the Lord. And so unbelievably hard for Randy, her husband. And, and yet in the heaviness of this funeral yesterday, th- through the tears, through the questions, through the heartache, there was this joy. There, there was a hope. Because Randy knows this. Randy knows that, that death does not get the last word. And he told this story. He, he told the story of when him and Linda invited to church for the very first time. And they came into VK Greer Elementary School. For those of you who were there when we first started this church, right? And we used to meet in the, in the gymnasium with the snakes painted on the walls and the smell of junior high boys that just kind of was across the place, right? And he says, we, we walk in there and we first hear electric guitars. And they're like, this is weird. 
I've never been to a church that has that. But he says, we walked in, and he said, Eric's on stage with a joy. And he's singing these songs just full of joy. And he goes, then we, we actually started reading the lyrics. He goes, he's talking about God. He says, and then we heard the gospel. We heard that we were sinners in need of a Savior. We heard about our greatest problem in life, sin that separates us from God. But, but there's no sin too great that the grace of God, that the death and the resurrection of Christ, no sin too great for God's forgiveness and they put their full weight on that promise. And Randy and Linda give their lives to Christ. And he says, our lives are never the same again. We still had struggles and trials. Man, we're still in marriage counseling. He says, I was dealing with addictions, all this kind of stuff. But, but he knew where his hope was. They had met hope, and that hope was a person. That hope was Jesus Christ. And so in tears, Randy could say, I don't know why God would allow Linda to die so young. And it hurts, and and death is horrible. But listen, death is not the end. He would say, I still have Jesus. And Linda died in Christ, so today, Linda's more alive than she's ever been. Our eyes off our circumstances, lifted up to see Jesus, lifted up to see eternity. Because look where Jesus takes this in verse 2. You're like, we got a lot of verses to go. You're going to be here all day, all right? Verse 2, he says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself that, there, that where I am, you may also be. Man, there's so much hope just packed in those two verses where Jesus talks about the Father in my Father's house. In the next couple of Sundays, we're gonna unpack this whole idea of the Trinity a little more. We're not gonna do that this morning, right? This idea that, that we have one God, but also in three distinct persons, still one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How does that work? We're gonna unpack that a little more in, in, in a coming Sunday. But for now, see the hope of the reality you have if you put your trust in Jesus. That God is your father. That God isn't primarily looking for servants to obey him. No, he's looking for children to adopt, to be a a part of his family. It's it's why we call church, it's why we call Harvest Muskoka a family. One big dysfunctional family, all right? You're offended I said dysfunctional, hopefully not. Just look at the person beside you. Oh yeah, that's why we are, right? Listen, if, if you're here and if I'm here, that, that makes us a dysfunction. We're, we're not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination. There is some dysfunction here, but my hope is this, that in the mess and the struggles we have as a church, this room would be a room full of grace. Because our hope is not in perfect people. Our hope is in a perfect Savior. And so in the mess even, in the struggles of of family life, of doing this, that we'll do the best we can to point each other to the grace we have so freely received for ourselves and pour that grace out to each other and we point each other to the hope of this, that, that we have a savior that says, I got this, I've got your troubles. Jesus here, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a picture here that the disciples would have understood as he said this. For us, it might take a bit to unpack. What is he talking about going to prepare a place? You see, in first century Israel, a Jewish man would be betrothed to his wife, betrothed deeper than, greater than just our engagement. You're legally married, just not fully married yet. And in that betrothal period, the husband would leave 
and go get stuff ready to come back for the wedding to have a place to bring his bride. I have three daughters. I want to bring that tradition back. <laughs> the picture here is that, that, that him leaving, saying, listen, I'm leaving, but, but, but we're united. We're, we're, we're like married, so I'm not bailing on you. I'm going to get our home ready for you. Now, now don't, don't lose the metaphor here. Okay, yeah, Jesus is a carpenter, so heaven must not be done yet. He's got some work to do, some plumbing to get in, and, and some electrical work to do. And that's not what he's talking about. The preparation, what he's talking about, is what's following this meal. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested, to be tried, to be nailed to a cross for the forgiveness of our sin, where he cries out, it's finished. He's going to be buried on the, on the third day. He's going to rise again, come out of the grave, conquer our greatest trouble, our greatest burden, that he pays the price for our sin to make us right with God so that we can be brought into a relationship with him. He's saying, I'm going to prepare that. I, I want you to be with me, and here's what I'm going to need to do to make that happen. He's saying, I'm making a way for that. I'm preparing your eternity with me so you can be with me. That, that's the good news for troubled hearts. If the way we follow Jesus, if, if Jesus were to say this, hey, I'm, I'm going and I'm going to leave an obstacle course for you. There's some things you're going to need to do and, and if you can make it, then you're in. That's not what he says. He doesn't say if you're good enough, you can be with me. That's not good news at all. He settles our troubled hearts with this promise here. I'm making a way. I'm making a way, he says, for you to be with me forever. <clears throat> goes on in verse 4. He says, and you know the way where I am going. You know the longing of your heart. You know, you know where this hope is found. It's found in me, but, but Thomas getting lit up by this idea of this hope, but he's got some questions, right? So verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. He said, I'm going to prepare this place and now he says this, this hugely controversial statement, a statement that's hard for us in our culture to hear. He's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's, it's such an exclusive statement. He's not saying, oh, I am one of the ways. He's saying, I am the only way. Because look what he says right after that. He says this, so there's no confusion. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive, and, and yet, listen, it's, it's exclusively inclusive. There's an invitation here. It's exclusive, meaning this, Jesus is the only way. There's not another way to this new life. But it's inclusive, meaning this, everybody's invited. Everyone's invited to this life, to the Father, through him. The, it, why would I... I mean, I hope we live that out as a church, everybody invited. It's, it's why we would greet so warmly at the door. Listen, Walmart has greeters too. We're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because we want to say, you're loved here. You're invited to this new life. It's why I end off every service saying the same thing. You are loved. Why? To say this, that you're invited to this. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Because listen, every other world religion is based on how good you are and then one day you hope to stand before God and you just hope and pray that you've been good enough. And Jesus says, you're not good enough. You never will be, but I'm standing in your place. 
And listen, when we just stop and think about it, I think every one of us has the, the humility thing to say, yeah, that's right. I could never be perfect. I could never be good enough. If, if God is holy, I, there's no way my good outweighs my bad. She says, it won't. He says, but I'm standing in your place. I'm taking your sin. I'm giving you my righteousness. When Jesus comes along in the midst of that trouble and he says, you'll never be perfect. You'll never do it. I've not come to show you how to work your way to God. He says, I, I've come as God to find you, to save you through what I do, not what you do. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. I'm going to raise again to conquer sin and death. I'm going to save you by grace. It's by grace. It's by grace. Years ago, there was a conference in England where they um, were just talking about, about uh, all different ways of, of, of faith. And they had a bunch of different experts talking about the differences in faith and what does this look like and how do we describe who people are and all this. And they're asking all these questions. And one of the seminars they had, they were asking this, what's the difference between Christianity and any other faith? They're arguing in a way, and, and C.S. Lewis walking by. Isn't that cool, cool to be in a conference where C.S. Lewis is just hanging out? And he's walking by, hears the argument, comes into the room. He says, what are we arguing about here? And he said, we're trying to figure out what is the one thing that makes Christianity so different from any other religion? And he goes, well, that's easy. It's grace. Drops his mic, walks out of the room, right? It's that you don't earn it. There, there's no steps to, there's no things you do, there's no laps you do, and hopefully one time you get life right and you get, no, no, it's all grace. Jesus saying, I'm the way. When he says, I'm the way, he's saying, listen, you're lost. We don't know where we're going. He says, you have this longing for home, you have no clue to get there, I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth. We've been lied to, lied to from the beginning, the, the serpent speaking into, into the lies in the Garden of Eden saying, God doesn't want the best for you. Just follow your own path. Trust yourself. You've got this. You, you can make it on your own. And Jesus so clearly saying, no, you can't. You can't. You know you can't. Your hearts are so often troubled by that truth that you can't. He says, that's okay. He says, I am the truth that you need. Jesus says, I am the life. I'm the life. All this world can offer us is temporary happiness. And if you know me, I'm definitely not anti-happy. I like happy, right? I'd rather have Ben and Jerry's than kale and tofu like any day, all right? But happy is so fleeting. It's, it's so temporary. It'll wear you out just seeking after happiness. We need more than happy. We need life. And, and the reason that our souls can't be fully satisfied in the things of this world is because we were made for eternity. We were made to be in a right relationship with the almighty, the eternal God. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm that life for you. There, there is no other way. There isn't another truth. There isn't another life. He expands on this. Look at verse 7. As if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do not know, know him, and from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's saying, listen, Philip, you know this. I'm I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a teacher. All the other religious leaders saying they have the answer and that they can point you to the truth. He's saying, I am the truth. I'm not just pointing you to the truth. You've seen the works I've done. You've seen the miracles. And Philip says, show us the Father. Let me see. And Jesus said, you've already seen a lot. The move now is to believe, to know, to trust, to put the weight of your life on me. Christian truth is not just an idea that you have, it's a person you put your trust in, Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. So important when our hearts are troubled. So important for us to see where Jesus is going. He's going to the cross when he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. I mean, the cross shows us so clearly what God values God willing to turn the very wheels of history so that at a certain time, God the Son would come and live the life we couldn't live, die the death we should have died, face the very rejection of the Father that we deserve and conquering sin and death. So that, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Here's, here's, so that what? So that, not that our lives would be more comfortable, not that our lives would be more pleasant, not, not that we would have more temporal happiness every day, not so that things would be easy for us, but something so much more glorious would happen, that we would gain spiritual, eternal rescue and restoration, that we would go from death to life. Now listen, God, God cares about your today. He cares about those troubles. He cares about your body. He's the creator of it. But God's primary purpose is to rescue us from from the bondage of sin, from the slavery to ourself. Because we can run from hard situations. We can can leave a relationship, we we can leave a place where we live, but, but here's the thing, we can never run from ourselves. We don't just need comfort in this life. We need rescue. And Jesus says, I am that rescue. I'm the one who can come and change your very soul. I mean, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're about to see something that's going to completely rock your world. You're about to see something that's going to look like all hope is lost. The cross of Christ was awful. Their their Savior gone, the the perfect Son of God, taking on the wrath of God. And And yet through that horrible cross, God accomplishes the greatest rescue mission in all of history. Even that right there should say something about our suffering. See, there's this Psalm, Psalm 27, um, um, King David, he's got it all. He's the king, but he's also in suffering, and, and there's opposition and fear and, and enemies all around him and friends betraying him. And in that moment in Psalm 27, he says this, one thing I desire, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He says, he says, in my suffering, everything else is laid bare. My trust in myself is gone. My trust in my status is gone. My trust in people is gone. And he says, all I have is my Redeemer and his grace. And there's no better place in the universe than to be there. 
So yes, suffering is hard, but no, suffering does not, is, is not purposeless. This past season for me, it, it, um, there were times in this last year where it felt like God was taking everything away. Whether because of my own sin and stupidity, whether because of sin of others, whether just circumstances, and, and I hit a point of, I've got nothing, but I do have Jesus. And, and, and the Lord has this way of stripping away our self-reliance, stripping away our pride. All the things that we can trust in can be taken away, and your eyes look up and you say, Jesus, you've never left me. You're beautiful, you're trustworthy. Who have I in heaven but you? In Psalm 27, David comes to realize there's someone who sits on the throne of the universe that's way more beautiful than any ugly, awful thing we could ever face in life. Now, Jesus takes it a bit further. Not, not only is our sin dealt with on the cross, our, our, our greatest problem, he then tells his disciples this amazing news. So if your heart is troubled, listen, listen to this. He says, listen, I'm going, and, and, and after the resurrection, he's going to the Father. He says, it's gonna be better if I go because I'm going to send my spirit for you, and the spirit is gonna make his home in you. In those who trust Jesus, the spirit making his home in you. This, this is incredible. The home he talks about in verse two, he's now explaining not just a place we go to. Heaven's not, we're gonna float on clouds and strum harps. No, no, you're going to Jesus, to be with Jesus. And he's saying, listen, you get a taste of that now because my spirit is gonna take this very home up in you. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. That word there, the helper, and a, a word to describe the Spirit of God, so, some would call it helper, some would call it counselor. Some would call it advocate. Why? I think we need all of those. We need help. We need counsel. We need advocacy. That's the spirit of God. And he's saying, listen, it's the spirit of God in you. And if the spirit of God is in you, you read these verses, I mean, it changes everything. He said, the spirit of God in you, you're going to do greater works. Now, it can't be greater in magnitude because none of us are walking on the water, raising anybody from the dead. I don't think any of you have fed 5,000 people with a happy meal, right? We're not doing greater in magnitude but I think it's greater in scope. What do I mean by that? I mean like right now, millions of Jesus followers filled with the spirit, with the power of the gospel, going out beyond with what could be done through just a handful of people in, in first century Israel. I mean, testimony after testimony in this church alone to show you that you guys are the hands and feet of Jesus, spirit-filled followers going out with the power of the spirit and so many lives being changed. Addictions broken, marriages healed, the lost and hurting finding hope and healing. But here's what I want us to see for our troubled hearts. The, the promise is that the Spirit of God takes up a home in you, his power in you, his presence is yours, his promises are yours in Christ. Jesus says that the Spirit actually dwells in you. Look at verse 18. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans, I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no, lo no more, but you will see me. Because I live, 
you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am, <clears throat> I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has these commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. I don't know if you're like this. Every time I read when, when John makes it, hey, this is Judas, not Iscariot. I always think it's the other Judas sort of looking over his shoulder going, hey, hey make sure they know that's not Judas Iscariot. I don't know. That's, that's how I read it. I'm probably wrong, but let's keep going. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Listen, what he's saying is this. The whole story of Scripture is right here. The whole story of Scripture is God with us. It's not us striving to reach God. No, it's that God reaches down to us, that that he goes after us with this this never-ending, never-stopping love to pursue us. And now he says, when you put your trust, when your whole weight is on Christ, he says, I'm going to make my home with you. Now, if, if the Spirit of God comes in to make his home in us, things will change, right? He says here, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I kind of look at it this way. When you move into a home that's got some work to do, you don't just move in. You move in and go, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to change? What are we going to renovate in this home? What are we going to do to make it our home? And the, and the, the Bible has a, a kind of a, a biblical word for that when the Spirit comes into us to do renovation. It's this word called sanctification. It's where the Spirit moves in and says, okay, this is my home. Now, now, now because you love me, because I love you, sanctification is this. We're going to need to do some renovations. That's the obedience part. And sometimes those renovations are, hey, we need, we need a little paint over here. Sometimes, sometimes the renovations are, we got to take some walls down. Let me ask you this. Where do you experience that in your life today? Where is the Spirit of God pressing in on you saying, hey, i got this work to do in you? Where are you seeing that renovation happening? As you think of that, as you think of those places, listen, we start from this place of, of hope and joy. The, the Spirit is in you. Like that, that's a place of hope and joy. And now it's no longer it, me. I'm, the, I'm just such a, a wreck. No, 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 no. You have the Spirit of God in you, but you, you still have sin. And, and there's an answer for that. There's repentance. There's an ability every day to experience resurrection life every day. Grace means this, that that home of your life that was condemned is no longer condemned. Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I grew up, we, we grew up pretty poor. Um, we lived in some places that if an inspector came in, the, the big old condemn sign would for sure be slapped on the door. I remember one place when I was a kid, um, my dad built an addition on our trailer, living large, we were living large, right? in the trailer park with the addition. That's so sweet, right? Yeah, except not a builder. So I remember as a kid waking up in the morning on winter mornings and there'd be little snow drifts in the corner of our beds, right? Because of the, the gaps in the wall and whatnot. Listen, th- that, that place, that add-on should have been condemned. And the spirit comes into your life and your life may feel like that. Like, man, there's just so much wrong. There's so much broken. And, and the spirit moves and goes, no, 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 you're no longer condemned. And from that place of grace, saved and secure in Christ, the Spirit's going to do some renovation. So again, where is that for you? 
Maybe for you, it's him calling you to forgive somebody. Maybe for you, it's a mission he's called you to that you know there's a person that you need to share this good news with and you've been holding back and the Spirit's like, hey, let's, let's do some renovation on that fear so you can step out in my promises with this good news. Maybe for you, it's sin that you need to repent of. Where you can lay that on Christ and say, thank you for the repentance. Thank you for your grace. Would you do some rental work? Maybe for you, it's just to rest and trust. Verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As we wrap up this morning, listen, suffering is inevitable. I mean, our world is full of trouble. But the, the hope is this, my prayer is this, that we would see the peace of God rule our hearts. So, so then what do we do with troubled hearts then? If you don't know Jesus, it starts here. It starts with, with you putting your trust in him. It starts with you believing in him. It starts with you saying, would you come in and make, make my life your home? And Jesus says this, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. And so maybe for you today, the way you deal with your troubled heart is to take care of the biggest trouble you have. Where you come to the place where you realize I'm not just a mistaker in need of trying harder, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus here, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've done what you can't. Jesus lived a perfect life, and, and he's saying, listen, I, I, I want to take the condemned off of your life and bring you new life, and it comes as you surrender your life to him. As you give your sin, as you give your striving, as you put your full weight on him, trusting that when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, that meant for you. It counted for you. I'd say take the opportunity today, even now, to say, Jesus, I trust you and I want this today. Now, for those who are in Christ, if you, you are a Christ follower and, and you have a troubled heart this morning, what, what does this text lead us to? I got four things that we can do that I, that I could pull out of this text. Before I, before I list those, though, listen, what I want us to understand is that this whole work of troubled hearts, it, it's, a, it's a teamwork, it's a group project, all right? There are some troubles. I always think of when you go to the airport and you've got carry-on luggage and then you've got some luggage that's in that special place you have to go because it's so big and some of y'all come in here this morning and you've got, I got carry-on, I'm good. Me and Jesus, we got this and others have some baggage and luggage that's in another part of the airport, right? I would say for all of us, whether it's small suffering or large suffering, we suffer together. It's the spirit in all of us. Like, don't be a hero because you're not the hero. Jesus is the hero, right? His grace is on display, not when you, I do this on my own. Look at how great God is. No, no, no. His grace is displayed when you say, I can't do this except for Jesus. And so what do we do? We bear each other's burdens. We point each other to this hope. We, we grab somebody. We walk with somebody. Just this weekend, we have such great friends in, um, in our life right now where we were over at their house and they were just going through deep, hard struggles. 
We got a chance to sit with them and encourage them and pray with them and point them to the hope of the gospel. And in the middle of that conversation, there was this, hey, this is so good because just last week you were doing the same thing for us. And I know next week it might be the same. That's what doing this in community is. Maybe you're the one with a deep struggle today. Tomorrow, as God rescues you, as God shows you his grace, you'll be the one to walk with somebody else. Say, hey, I've been through the same thing. I hear four quick things. Four quick things from this text. What do you do? How, how do I get this troubled heart to a place of rest? First is this, see Jesus. See Jesus. See the promises he has for you. See who he is. David says that I would gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Get into the word. See his beauty. See his grace. See his sovereignty. See his wisdom. See his patience for us. See his power for you and in you. See his promises to you. See Jesus. That's the first thing we do. And secondly, we, we remember our identity in Christ. He says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. You're not an orphan any longer. You're a child of the king. So preach this gospel to your heart every day. See who Jesus is. See what that means, who you are. No longer condemned, now a child of God. And here's a third thing. Rest. Trust. You're not resting because this is easy. You're not resting because, oh, everybody likes me now. No, no, not, not horizontal rest, but rest because you're connected by grace to this one who is so awesome in beauty. It's a vertical rest. Teach your heart to rest, to cast the care and say, I trust you, Jesus. Lastly, step out in his grace. Maybe for you, it's stepping out to serve. Maybe for you, it's stepping out in repentance. Maybe for you, it's stepping out in what we're just about to do right now, to step out in worship. Because worship really teaches you those first three things, doesn't it? To see Jesus, to remember who he is and who you are as his child and, and what your identity is, and it teaches you to rest, to cast your cares. Worship is this act of trust. Why do we raise our hands in worship sometimes? It's this, Jesus, it's all yours. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord, I, I pray that um, today, with the struggles we bring in here today, I pray that we would not look to the temporary things of this world to satisfy us, but that we'd be satisfied in you and you alone. That we could rightly say, Jesus, you're enough. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to these things as you promise us, that we would see our hope, we would see your promises, we would see your presence, we would see your power, we would see the gospel again displayed for us. We would know this, you are trustworthy. You are faithful. You've shown us this on the cross and you show it to us each and every day. And so we respond in worship with troubled hearts. We respond in worship. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with me?